And the letter said, is there anything in this catalogue the Führer would like? Holy moly. And so uh, my copy of my great-grandfather's book, it turns out to have been the copy that Hitler held. Hello, I'm Ed Begley Jr. I'm willing to do anything to help the planet. I think getting a LEED Platinum certification is better than getting a winning lottery ticket. I think my family showers should be timed, and I love my wife. I'm Rochelle Carson Begley, and at least my showers are shorter than the time it takes to actually heat up the water. And I love Ed. On this episode, we have a very interesting chat with our lovely friend, author Simon Goodman, and our dear friend, Mae Quigley. About his wonderful book, The Orpheus Clock, The Search for My Family's Art Treasures Stolen by the Nazis, and it's a great book. It's thrilling, it's exciting, and it and it's all true, which is even more exciting. Hey there, we're back with another episode of Begley-esque. We have a fantastic guest today with an incredibly riveting story, but first we have another listener email to share. Jenna wrote, thank you. Just love every one of your podcasts. Nice to hear all the encouraging shows regarding our environment because it is so important. My personal concerns are about voter security. If we don't vote environmentalists into office, we won't be able to change anything. And Jenny Cohn on Twitter does a very nice job of breaking down the reports from the experts who spoke at the Senate Intelligence Committee. Please spread the word. We need to go back to paper ballots like Europe, Canada, and Australia. Shocking that our system is so corrupt at so many levels. It's time for lots of change. Our planet just can't take it. Again, so nice to hear the positive ideas and hope that you are all listening and you're instilling these ideas in all of us. Well, well, well. Well, I totally and completely agree. I didn't know we had an we could go back to paper, you know, uh, ballots, and I didn't know that Europe and Canada and Australia still had them. Actually. I didn't know that either. That's, but thank uh, you so much, yeah. Jenna, for writing. If you have something you want to share with us in the community, email us at begleyesk at gmail dot com. Yeah, we really appreciate all you're doing, Jenna. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at begleyesk. Thanks so much, Jenna, for writing in. If you have something you want to share with this community, email us at begleyesque at gmail.com. That is B-E-G-L-E-Y-E-S-Q-U-E at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at begleyesque. We're very excited today. Our wonderful friend Simon Goodman is here with his equally wonderful wife, Mae Quigley. Yay, our I love good them <laughs> They donated some of their time to sit down and chat with us. He's the author of a highly acclaimed book, The Orpheus Clock, The Search for My Family's Art Treasures Stolen by the Nazis. An amazing story of how he spent decades trying to, as the title says, search for his family's art that was taken by the Nazis and never returned. Simon May. Thank you both for coming. And May Quigley, who is our friend for 100 years. I've loved her since the <laughs> 80s. I said it. And there it is. It's yeah, she's there. an actress, extraordinary actress, extraordinary uh, acting teacher. Gorgeous, by the way. Um, is, and, and dashing is Simon. You can't see either dashing. of them, but they're And is relative Hollywood uh, royalty. Her father was a producer creator. Or producer of, creator. Of the wonderful Hollywood squares Thank among you, the many, original the original yep. the and, and they bring other it wonderful back. games right yes. hey wait a minute let me just ask you a question do you get residuals because i think they're bringing it back no sadly Damn. i know Damn. i know it's That's heartbreaking because it's so it should that's just not right anyway whatever but you've been in hollywood your entire life for a yes. short stint in new york and so yes. they've been our friends for a very long time and they're still speaking to us we're thrilled about it <laughs> You're actually. In a, a dwindling number of people <laughs> some people find our banter amusing most find it tedious yeah, and you'll be in the latter category by the end of today exhausting. i'm sure but we also had a wonderful mutual friend in carrie fisher 
Yes, yes. we did. Loved her very much. All of us at this table did. Yes. She was great. A dear friend. From, you've known her since you were how old, May? Four. Kindergarten. Oh, my God. They were brownies? I know. I know. Bro- Kindergarten. Girl Scouts. Girl Scouts. Yes. Wow. Debbie was our scout leader. Oh Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds was, was our your, scout leader. So that leader. It really is Hollywood royalty. I mean, fantastic. it was, you know, because back then, we all went to the same public grammar school. And right. we went to the same public high school. You know, I mean, it really was a quiet little hood. Yeah, Beverly I mean, Hills. You know, wealthy, but it, it was it it was a neighborhood. Right. Which right. is different. Yeah. And you know, did you ever come across change. Ed? Because he was older. He was a little older than you guys, but I mean I, I was a good deal older than them. So yeah, I would go there. I remember the first time because we lived in the valley. My dad, most of his friends were like friends from Hartford, Connecticut, where he worked at a factory. He didn't have a lot of showbiz friends, but then he did Unsinkable Molly Brown with one Debbie yes. Reynolds. Suddenly we're hanging out in Beverly Hills, going to that house that they shared, the one with Harry Carl. Yes, yes, the one into- that uh, Carrie claimed looked like a bank. It did. It did very much yeah. I would go to the drive-up window sometimes yeah. during the holidays and try to get something. I remember I was blown away because one Christmas they said, oh, uh, Ed's kids are here. Me and my sister both. Debbie handed us a transistor radio. Do you have any idea what a great gift that was in 1965, I think it was? It's a good gift now. Wow. It's a good gift now, a transistor radio. And, <laughs> and then I peeked in the kitchen, they had like a case of them. They got a case of transistor radios they were given to the Did you ever people. get a transistor radio? Man? I didn't. No, it was a little, yeah. She's not as old as you are. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Neither are you for that. And that's true. But let's talk about okay. Simon's book, right, for right. God's so sake. Simon. You're dwindling. You're I know, not I know. But you're I'm roaming around verbally. There's so much to talk about. So we are going to cover this book because, you know, I I knew Simon for the last, what, 21 years? How long have you guys yes. been married? So that's how 21. long I've known Simon. Yes. I've known May a lot longer, but I didn't know until relatively recent, maybe five years ago, that what you were doing, what you were up to in your spare time, <laughs> I mean, this is not, uh, and I was like, what? You're doing what? I don't have any spare time. Okay, so so maybe you yeah. can, you know, I mean, I know you were in the music business originally, that's but right. then... So, can you just give us a little synopsis of what, what started the art yeah. treasure hunt? Uh, my father dying. I'd been an independent music distributor here in California. I'd started in the music business in London at the end of the 60s. I've, I'd done my best to avoid my family and my family's banking tradition. And uh, I was making my own way, moved out to LA. Uh, you know, I was. The guy, you know, to get the latest punk rock album from. Go, cool. go figure. <laughs> I was the yeah. first guy to sell a Sex Pistols record in the United States. Oh, wow. And then my poor old dad, who was this sad, solitary old guy who didn't talk to anybody. He drowned in Italy. It was obviously unexpected. Yeah. And uh, he left me a few debts, no money, uh, but a few boxes full of old yellowing papers. And from that, my brother and I, who also had moved to L.A., we deduced that our grandfather, who we'd never met, he was murdered in one of the Nazi camps, had owned a vast art collection, all of which had been looted by the Nazis. And it turned out my dad had spent all his life, or at least the last half of his life, trying to recover what had been taken by the Germans. Mostly he met bureaucratic brick wall after, you know, one obstacle after another. He was going to take this secret to the grave with him. We never knew what he was doing as a kid. He was just traveling somewhere. We had no idea. He didn't even have a real job, as it turns out. And uh, he didn't want us to carry on what he'd been doing because mostly he'd met with failure, poor guy. 
Mm. Wow. So all these old letters show up that finally gave us the story, or at least the, the tip of the iceberg, in a sense, because that was 21, 22 years ago, and I've been digging ever since. And on top of what my father itemized in his letters, uh, I've discovered so much more that the family owned that my father's surviving sister, she's a 98-year-old woman wow. living in Tuscany in Italy, so I keep finding things, and it turns out I'm good at finding things. <laughs> I, I, I was good at finding weird records way back when. You know, the Beatles would even come to my brother and, and my record store in London, and, you know, George Harrison wanted strange uh, Tibetan gongs and or, or, <laughs> m- m- Moroccan flutes or whatever. And, right, uh, right. Uh, yeah, Zen for the whatever. And, uh, I, and then I, he found me. Yes, he yeah. did. Another treasure. I'd find old blues records for, for Lennon and, uh, you know, whatever they, the, the guys liked. I, I was good at picking up weird rarities. And uh, well, What do you think that, what, what do you attribute that to? I might have a photographic memory. I'm good at languages. My father and his sister both spoke about seven languages. So my aunt, when I still see her, speaks to me in at least six of them. I draw the line at Greek. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise, I sort of know what she's talking about. So I didn't realize in the music business this helped me. You did? Uh, Well, because I got a part-time... I dropped out of... Uh, university and got a part-time job with Chris Blackwell at Island Records. Oh, oh boy. He soon realized that uh, I could talk to Italian licensees, oh, Austrian licensees, what, wherever they came from. They soon said, oh, quick, where's Simon? He'll take care of this guy. We don't know what he's talking about. What does he want? You know, all right. And before I knew it, I was director of International. <laughs> and uh, What year was that, Simon? So that was about 69. Wow. What a timeline uh, yeah. was back then. So, what a so place every, to be. And my yeah. brother had this store, you know, everybody, all the Beatles, the Stones. I mean, we had to bar them from the store because one, one day Jagger showed up with Marianne Faithful and we had a riot. I mean, they were <laughs> sure. Well, because they were followed by sort of 200 screaming kids. Right, who, right. And our store was small. Mm-hmm. So we, we said, you can't come here anymore. You tell us what you want and we'll deliver them to your office every, you know, every Friday. And so we had a system with uh, everybody, Joe Cocker, Jimi Hendrix, um, everybody you can think of, the Bee Gees, uh, there we are. So, so that was my life. And uh, I came out here first time in LA. I was trying to get Jethro Tull a contract. Oh. So that was oh, my first introduction. Ian, a little bit. Cold, Wonderful a, fellow. A contract, I mean, Ian... And with, with Warner Brothers, yes. Oh, okay, because I'm... Because that was the thing. We had all these new English right. bands that yeah. free, uh, you know, Cat Stevens was an easy one to sell here mm-hmm. to A&M, but, you know, other bands, Blodwin Pig, we didn't do so <laughs> no. well with. Right, right, uh, I remember so, that. you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I actually, and then I kind of settled out here. We had a big distributor who owed us a huge amount of money, and he lived here in the valley. <laughs> and he was entertaining me in his jacuzzi, his beautiful blonde wife, and we had all sorts of little yeah. white substances favors, on a, yeah. you know, mirrors <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> yeah. I remember that. And, and, you know, all the sort of the goodies were flowing, and he was explaining to me why he couldn't pay me. 
<laughs> and I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. I'm battling the cold and the English tax collector. So I, I cut him out of the picture and I moved out. Anyway, so here I am. My poor dad suddenly drops dead and I've got all these letters about Adolf Hitler and his art-looting agents. And I was determined to figure out what still might be out there. And cut a long story short, I found my first painting a year later in Chicago. What was it? It was a Degas, a, a landscape, oh and boy. turned out to be the first Nazi looted painting to be settled in the United States. So I had no idea. I was kind of making... And that was in your family? The, yeah, yeah. That was your grandfather and grandmother's yes, painting, yes. personal painting? They had hundreds of paintings. I and mean, where were they from? They're all from right, they, they were from Germany. They'd been born in Berlin. My grandfather's father had been one of the richest men in Germany. He'd started, or his father before him even, had started what was called the Dresdner Bank. Sure. Which was, for, yeah. a, for a while, the biggest bank in the German Empire. Mm-hmm. Then after the Deutsche Bank, it became the second biggest bank in Germany mm-hmm. for, for just, you know, 100 years or so. So my family, as it turns out, were enormously wealthy. And uh, this all changed with uh, the advent of Nazism. My grandparents moved to Holland, where they thought they'd be safe. Mm. My father, after he graduated from Cambridge in England, stayed in England. Then when things got really scary, he joined the British Army, never saw his parents again. His sister hid in Italy. The rest of the family managed to escape. Most of them escaped Germany. One uh, worked at the Ritz in Paris as a chef for the war. Uh, he was, so he was cooking for people he'd... You know, Nazi off that he'd been at high school with, but you know, he so he had to hide underground. He was he, he wasn't allowed to see the light. What of a day. story! What a great they, story! They're all they all have each in you know each one has this extraordinary story. My grandparents were amongst the <coughs> unlucky ones. They thought they were safe in neutral Holland. Mm-hmm. Holland got invaded by the Germans in May 1940. They were trapped, and uh, their huge art collection was eventually a bargaining chip they thought which they could exchange in return for a a ticket to Italy, where even though Mussolini had instigated some anti-Semitic laws because our family was so connected with the Italian government, Mussolini personally signed uh, an entry visa for my grandparents, which they were never able to kind of use because uh, the train got diverted to Berlin where they were arrested and then they were sent to a concentration camp. And and that was the the end of them, oh sadly. Yep. And all the art, uh, the family, gold, Renaissance and gold and silver was an extraordinary collection. Even the German Kaiser was jealous of our collection. So they, they, they went out of their way to grab everything. Every stick of furniture from the house was removed. The carpets, the dogs, the cars, the cars, everything went. And uh, so I made it my life's work. I didn't realize when I found that first painting in Chicago that my life would change. The dig on. Yeah. And uh, suddenly my brother and I, they did a 60 minutes on us. And there were, you know, we were on the History Channel. You know what happened with, when you found the yes. painting, what happened to the painting? Did you get to keep the well, painting? Uh, it, was, it was a very complicated legal yeah. case. The, the, the final 
trial itself would have cost us and the possessor each more than the painting was worth. Oh, by a lot. So, oh. uh, because it was a, a very big deal, you right. know, the legal precedent uh, right. hadn't been set, so we all had very high-powered lawyers. Eventually, we had what was called a Solomonic solution where we decided to split the painting. Literally? No. Well, no. what happened? No, not not, 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 not literally. Uh, the man who had had it, who uh-huh. was a, a Chicago billionaire, his family owned... Uh, a huge pharmaceutical company. They discovered NutraSweet, amongst other things. Oh, wow. By accident. Uh, yeah, but, it's a nice uh, but he, yeah. he then yeah. sold it to Monsanto for $2 billion. Yeah. So uh, this guy had a battery of entrenched, you know, button-down sure. lawyers, and they, they, they were going to, anyway, fight us tooth and nail. And this nail. was 21 years ago or yes, so. When this, yes, so this so was 95, <laughs> actually. The world was a different place very with different. this stolen, looted art back yes. yeah. People were very resistant to do very. the right That's true. Uh, after that, I mean, so we, we split the painting. The Art Institute of Chicago paid my family for my half. The other half uh, was donated to the museum, and the owner got a tax write-off. Oh, so good. that's how they split okay, it. Good. The museum in the Chicago. The museum yeah. got to keep the painting. So the previous oh. owner donated his half, right. and the museum paid Simon and our family for the other half. Oh, I see right. how it works now. Right. And, and then we used the money to go after Sotheby's, who'd sold our, a Renoir belonging to us. Mm-hmm. And that turned into another nasty legal battle. The press, the present there for Sotheby's, you know, they were scared to death. They did. They they threatened my brother and myself with personal sort of lawsuits. One, um, the wording of was that we were infringing on their right to conduct business as normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> m- meanwhile, we countered. We actually had their lawyer almost thrown in jail for contempt. So it was getting pretty exciting. Mm. Today, I mean, at some point after we've been banging against all these brick walls about 10 years ago, say, this eventually changed when the big auction houses realized they right. could make money out of restitution. They could? How, I didn't how know that. Uh, a good example is a friend here in L.A. Uh, was, was then a young lawyer called Randy Schoenberg was introduced to uh, a friend of his, his mother's who was a sweet old lady who lived in Rancho Park called Maria Altman and her aunt uh, was called Adela Blockbauer and she'd been the subject of a famous Klimt painting, mm. the, la- oh, yeah, the, the Lady the in Gold. gold. Yes. Sure. So Adele used, asked my friend Randy if, if uh, he could take the Austrian government to court. He, he went all the way to the Supreme Court to get the right to take a foreign government. To, so there was a small group of us that managed to change quite a few laws. In the meantime, my brother and I had got the Dutch Parliament to vote on, on a new restitution law. Then the French government followed suit. So, wow. Today, Christie's and Sotheby's, the big auction houses, actually have uh, restitution departments that are very well funded, staffed by. Right. Yes. Um, awesome. Well, the, the lady in gold perhaps was the. the ultimate turning point. Where Didn't they do a whole movie about yes, this with Helen yes, Mirren? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. Where Helen and I gave testimony at the Senate about a year ago. You did? About uh, getting... Yeah, well, she was there because the senators liked a pretty face, sure. and then I was the last guy to speak because I had personal experience on what's going on in this. So they did change. They did extend the uh, 
statute of limitations on Holocaust restitution. But meanwhile, what I'm saying is that the auction houses uh, realized that there was money to be made when suddenly this one Klimt painting that had been locked in an Austrian government museum mm -hmm. since the war came back on the market. This was one painting worth a hundred million. Hundred million yeah. dollars. Yeah. But we all know that Klimt painting. I mean, that's yes, one yes. of the Yes, yes, it's an iconic, painting. and the, the Austrian government <laughs> didn't want to let go. And uh, so the world has sort of changed. Today, mm -hmm. I can call up my friend, the mm -hmm. vice president, Sotheby's, and say, look, I want you to look into this painting for me. They actually call me or email me when mm -hmm. something suspicious comes up for mm -hmm. sale. If, if there's any mention of my family in the history, in the provenance, today, mm -hmm. they give me a call. 20 years ago, right. the, the opposite. They, they delete my family's name from any history from a painting. Um, well, there was, there was one exception. There was a Botticelli where they had the gall to actually put my grandfather's name in the catalogue. Catalogue resonate. Kind of catalog. <clears throat> yes, 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 yes. And they had been told what was looted. They had a list oh, of the family's list. paintings. But the Botticelli was on the list, so they knew that was one of them we were still looking for. And yet they put it up for sale in New York. And oh, my God. So that was another dramatic battle. Uh, we didn't but you're fighting the good fight. I'm that, just so yeah. impressed. This is so. I who, mean, for who, so many reasons. Who, who knew? I mean, so I, I didn't know this was um, where my life would take me. But um, in many ways, that's the part of the story that's so modern, because so many of the things that Simon has found and what he's learned about his family couldn't be done without the internet. Right. Do you know? I mean, Interesting, of course. Of course. It's incredible. Why his father was very it's yeah, frustrating. He had to go to Belgium and literally knock on somebody's door. Right. I can I can sit here in LA, still in my pajamas, and I can access some antique book dealer in Belgium and buy the last copy of a 1920 catalogue that's got you know a crucial image right. of a painting my grandfather lent for an exhibition, which, which ends up there being a key, Exhibit a. It's a key Exhibit piece a. of evidence. And, yeah. and today I, I'm a member of the Getty Research Institute, wow. which it has the biggest photo file in the world, probably not to mention every art book you can think of. And uh, if I find one they don't have, I tell them and they go and buy it if, if, if there's one that still exists. So there are all these factors that help me. Uh, the declassification uh, this, of all of the war documents was a big oh, help. Oh, wow. Because Simon was actually able to get Nazi inventories. I mean, wow. you know, room see. By, room by room of, yeah. of my wow, grandparents' Make a list home. here of what we're taking out of the house. Exactly. Well, it was everything. They, they, they actually, we, we found three inventories. There's, a, there's the first one of the top paintings, the second one of the secondary paintings, and the top furniture and uh, and then a third one of all the antiques that that are left behind thank god uh, the germans were organized and, and there was a it's separate true. inventory for, for the silver and gold as well yeah. so there were four or five and, and it was room by room it says you know library hall you know uh Gentleman's smoking room, I mean, which had a safe behind it, and which of course so they, they blew really up. It must be really an interesting time hearing what we're going through, like with Charlotte, with Charlottesville, and what's happening in the in America today with this Nazi movement. You know, you know, rearing its ugly like head again. Ever. It's just shocking to me. It is shocking. It's shocking, and so uh, quite disturbing. You know, on so many levels. Yeah. 
This is so important. Well, I, I made a big point in, in my book, The Orpheus Clock. The middle chapter is about the concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I was actually, so I'm not talking about six million people. I'm following one couple, my grandparents. Right. I was able to, again, as May says, because of the advent of the internet, the Red Cross helped me, uh, the, the Germans, the Dutch, French. CIA declassifying their 1945, their end of World War II documents, which none, all of that was under seal for 50 years. I was able to find the name of uh, the officer who arrested my grandparents, the train number, oh the, 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 yeah. the, the billet where they were locked up, the, when, when my grandfather was sent into solitary. I was actually, it was pretty chilling, um, I was standing in that cell. <gasps> Just this we, past we, spring, country. It's, we went to It's visit. in the Czech Republic. It's in Terezinstadt. We, we've been, been there. there. Right. And God, that was the nicer of the, the devil. Yes, that it, was like the Ritz. Well, of the, that, that's the yes. whole point. They, they, they yes. sent the wealthy, the influential, the connected right. Jews who, who they were afraid, you know, if they killed them outright, they, it might cause too many ripples. So right. a, a French minister, a chief rabbi from Denmark, a, a, a Dutch diplomat, Freud's sister, Franz Kafka's sister. Oh, my Lord. Uh, Bismarck's well, so banker's daughter. Political, right, obviously. Um, and, and, and they would have the Red Cross to come in and inspect them. Look at it. They're having exercise now, and here's the wonderful meals the, we're serving. Well, we were in one of those movies. stalls, or, right, and they're right. the size of this table, yes, pretty much. Yes. And they would put 12 yes. prisoners in yeah. those. But didn't yeah. they make these propaganda films when they have the, yes, the, they the propaganda film? The truth is, is a relative of mine was, was an inmate, and he was forced to direct... The, the propaganda film, which, oh, which was nicknamed uh, Hitler's Gift to the Jews. And the director is, he is called Kurt Geron. Um, he was actually a famous actor, singer in Berlin in the cabaret days before the war. His big claim to fame was he was the guy who first sang the original German version of Mac the Knife. Oh. What's his name again? Kurt Geron. Move over Lenny Riffin. So, so he was a cousin, and so, so this it, it, to begin with, it, it's very strange. My grandparents end up in this camp with famous writers, playwrights, painters, and and other bankers. So they're all connected. I mean, for a little while, they think maybe things aren't that bad. It wasn't an extermination camp. Yes, pe- pe- people just died from illness, disease, malnutrition, or actually and yeah, being they did beaten. murder yes. twenty thousand out of this particular, but, you know, this but, non-extermination camp. Right. Wow. Most most of those who were killed though were put on the transports before the film was made because there were too many people in the camp. Uh, Twelve thousand were shipped to Auschwitz. Uh, the week before to, to make to out, make to make, to make room for the cameras, and so the streets didn't look so unseemly crowded. So uh, that's what happened. My grandfather's actually beaten to death for refusing to sign over the family Renaissance gold collection. And then, like, it would matter if he signed it or not. It was odd, but this it's it's a complicated story. Right. He he'd been very clever. He signed the collection over to his 
Aryan brother-in-law who happened to be a, a cousin of Mussolini's, who was oh, an Italian really? oh. politician, who was an Italian they senator. They had to get that signature. And, and, and yes. for, to begin with, the Italians were their allies. Mm-hmm. So, so the Nazis, they're stickler for rules and regulations, and every, you know, everything had to be nicely signed well, in Well, their triplicate. rules and regulations. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they couldn't, so, and the, collection, the gold collection was declared a national monument, and it, it became very complicated. I've found letters where, you know, Hitler wanted this and this. And uh, strange story, uh, there's a catalogue made of my great-grandfather's silver and gold collection, and there are very few editions of this book still around. I had to get another one because I'd worn out my brothers. I found an antique dealer, a weird Australian guy in Boston who had one copy left. He kind of guessed it. It was my family, so it made me pay through the nose for it. <laughs> when it arrived, there was a letter inside. To my horror, it was signed Heil Hitler by one of uh, the Nazi looters of my family's home. And, and the, the letter was addressed to Hitler's chief of staff, Baron von Hummel. And the letter said, is there anything in this catalogue the Führer would like? Holy moly. And so uh, my copy of my great-grandfather's book... It, turns out to have been the copy that Hitler held. Oh, it's creepy, but there was a creepy. bit of strange history. But again, the internet. I mean, there was one copy left of this book. I tracked down this Australian antique book Well, dealer. you have to be uh, uh, relentless, yes. detail-oriented, and uh, passionate. So, you know, that is, uh, thank God. And hence uh, why Simon wrote the book is to really have a history. Since the Germans tried so hard to obliterate uh, his family's history, where they stood in the community, as well as, you know, millions of other people. But to be able to have a real uh, documented story about a family's journey, Mm -hmm. which makes it very human, and the story's not over. No, of course it's not. You know, over. so many people Clearly don't it's not realize over. that after the looting, when the monuments men came in, also another a movie, movie, but not yes. a great movie. <laughs> um, the monuments men didn't have the time before they were disbanded to actually return these looted uh, art pieces to the families. They were able to send them back to the country. Uh, of origin, where they were looted. Uh But then those countries, Holland, France, they did not return them to the family. So in essence, it was stolen again. What reason did they give for not returning them? Do you know? Is there any paper trail to that? Um, Simon, you you can explain Well, there are many reasons. All the new governments at the end of 1945 are virtually bankrupt. Europe is in disarray. Their countries have been bombed to smithereens. So from a practical point of view, these new governments couldn't be bothered with a few Jewish refugees saying, what happened to my silver candlesticks? Uh, The bigger picture is that um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, were living in property that had belonged to Jewish people before Uh the war. Uh, Where were they going to go? Where where do you start? So... In Holland, many Dutch Jews, before they went into hiding or before they were arrested, would pick what they thought was a friendly Dutch citizen, non-Jewish, to look after, to be the caretaker, Bavaria in in Dutch, of their family heirlooms. These people 
don't return after the war. So the Bavaria's family just say, well, this is ours now. Mm -hmm. So when the grandson like me shows up, they don't want to talk to me because from their point of view, they got used to sitting on that sofa, eating off that china whatever it is, you, using those silver candlesticks. So, uh, and the, the, the new governments felt the same way. The, the, the new government in Holland was actually quite socialist and they resented the f families like mine, who they mm -hmm. described as Jewish capitalists because we were bankers. They say, well, they don't need any more money. Why, why should we get, you know, our people are starving. Something's let them, never let, let right. them go to America and fend for themselves. More anti-Semitism. Yeah. So, so they said, it's not our problem or we can't deal with this now. And then they, they came up with trumped up laws such as any transaction that took place during the German occupation was illegal because you were dealing with the enemy. Therefore, the products of those transactions were forfeited to the state i.e. anything that a, a Dutch collector uh, was forced to sell, probably even at gunpoint, in the hope of getting an exit visa, mm -hmm. that painting, whatever it was he was selling, to a Nazi, according to the Dutch government, became, after the war, Dutch government property. So oh. my brother and I did get that changed in... 2000 to 2002. That must have not been easy. They, well, we, got, we, we, we went to the World Jewish Congress. We had to find mm -hmm. big, important mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. Senator D'Amato in New York, who'd been uh, suing the Swiss Banking Federation. He, Alphonse D'Amato. Yes, yes he, he, he liked us. He said, all right, yes, this sounds Who's interesting. Who was a Republican? Well, in the days when That's Republicans right. ha had a conscience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another story so yes, we, we, we we knocked on as many doors mm -hmm. as we could we got as much help as we could and the press in holland were horrified when they learned of our story they there's, were very helpful there, there's That's a very awesome. do you remember that story was the the, the the ducks and the chickens he's now the king of holland he was the a prince, a prince at, at the, the time. time he was getting married there were these big celebrations in every dutch city and in the city of was it utrecht i, I think, think the, the governor had hosted this party in what was, you know, one of one of their main government government buildings with the state art collection behind them, mm -hmm. and this canny Dutch journalist who had been, you know, was already following my family story knew about some of the paintings my brother and I were trying to get back. One of them happened to be behind this hapless governor when he was with the prince when he's being interviewed, and so she sticks a microphone in his face and says, "Do you know who that painting used to belong to?" And he said, I don't have a clue. And so she joins in. Well, uh, she was murdered in Auschwitz and all her belongings were stolen. And he said, I hope this isn't on the air. And he said, oh, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm from the radio. Of course I'm on the air. What, what do you think I'm doing? And he was so embarrassed. He said, take it off the wall. I don't want it here anymore. And he started an investigation he, he, he's, wow. he, he's, uh, he's yes he, i mean it bothered him it wasn't right, just take right, it off right, the wall and, and he the was horrified right yes. right right oh that's awesome so, so eventually the, it, it came to a vote in parliament where they realized that they had cheated the survivors and heirs immediately after the war of their 
heritage, their estates. We lost our house. We lost everything. It all got gobbled up one way or another. My father did get back the house briefly, but it came with a huge... Debt. Uh, yeah. Yes, he said, you, you, you can have it back on condition. They then said, well, in that case, technically, you've had the house. They, they kind of said the Nazis didn't exist. Therefore, <gasps> therefore, we'll go back to before the well, war. This is in Berlin. No, this, this was in Al- Holland. Oh, but in Holland. Yes, my, okay. we, we had similar problems okay. in, in Germany and Berlin, too. So they said it... Therefore, you haven't paid any property taxes in 15 years, not, not to mention the mortgage. And, and we said, well, you, you don't pay your you know, more monthly mortgages when you're in a concentration camp. <laughs> right. you know, they confiscated all our bank accounts, not, not to mention they took out the what, money. What, what was in them. Yeah. Uh, they confiscated our businesses. They stole our cars. They stole you know, everything of value. So there we are. So gradually, I found... In this era, being one generation mm-hmm. removed, that I'm coming across more and more in the last 10 years, people with a conscience who, who actually care. I found one collector, I found a painting here in L.A. in a private collection, only a mile and a half from where we wow. live. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It took about a year of talking to the guy, but he turned out to be a very decent man. And when I explained to him, he was particularly taken by... The story of my grandmother. And and Simon had given him the 60 minutes that had been done uh-huh. and uh, a very beautiful documentary called uh, Making a Killing so that he could see and, and get a, a sense of the family, you know, and, and the history. And he was incredibly moved and disturbed. Can you, you say who it is? Or is no. It, uh, he, What's you know, it's a amazing yeah, sure, yeah. is he wanted to stay anonymous, um, wow. I'm sure for many, many reasons, reasons. Yeah. but his son was going to be bar mitzvahed, and he wanted his son to know what a real mitzvah is. Oh, boy. Wow. You know, that you do something without any credit. You know, I'm sure it's more profound than that, but that's my Irish, you yeah. know, yeah, translation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so he took the painting off the wall and literally helped load it in the back of my old Jag. Holy moly! And I drove off, and that was it. Was, so it was a perfect restitution. It was extraordinary. But you see, one that's of the things that I'd been able to, by digging and sleuthing and finding old photos, I was able to figure out who would had the painting during the war. The, the guy who looted it from my grandparents' home sold it not to Hitler. A lot of the stuff went straight to Hitler, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big paintings. But this particular painting went to Hitler's uh, private physician, who wasn't any old doctor, but he was also a general in the SS. Ooh, and he was, the, he was a lovely person. He wasn't. He was the guy who'd started the medical experiments. Ooh. A Mengele kind of a guy? Yes. Yes, he was the guy who started the euthanasia program. Wow. But, the British caught him at the end of the war. He, he, he was hanged. Uh, he was personally convicted of this one man of murdering 60,000 people. Oh so, God. and I, I found his, his wedding photo. And he's got Hitler on his right and Goering on his left and, and his wife, you know, mm-hmm. who was a Nazi pinup because she'd won a bronze medal at some, for some swimming event before the war. So when he saw all this, he was absolutely horrified that this painting he once loved now is, is literally tainted with blood. And so he said, well, you know what? I don't think I like it anymore right. now that I know the full story. And there we are. So as I say, I mean, I've come across some very good people. Some people fight me tooth and nail. 
And I'm sure you're helping a lot of families out there. They're uh, taking your lead, right? I, I try. Mean, I try. I help. Changed some laws. Precedent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, often in my research, I come across. I'm not that long ago. I came across a great statue that belonged to actually the family of a guy I was at school with. Wow. Well, because. His family name began with G as well, and they had a famous art gallery in Paris. Uh, they were Jewish, and they fled to London, uh, uh, but they had to leave behind their collection too. So, yes, there are a few families like mine who we, we trade information. So I called him and said, do you know where this Hordauer sculpture is today? Because I just saw a, oh, let me tell my lawyers, this is exciting. So uh, I help as much as I can. But to be honest, I do all this myself as a sort of point of honor. Uh, way back when we had some fancy lawyers and then I realized that the fancy lawyers and their fancy researchers were actually going to get more at the end of the day out yeah. of a settlement than my poor aunt in Italy. And I thought, well, this, this isn't right. So I taught myself to do it myself. So How awesome. You did a wonderful and job. And aren't you of off it. to Europe next week? I'm going to speak in the, the National Gallery, the British government. Uh, I'm their guest, apparently. Uh, I, I'm going to start with more research in Holland because I've got to get to the bottom. I've got a big case against a museum in mm -hmm. Rotterdam. Then I come back after London. I have a case in London with a Dutch seascape that Christie's sold. That They're trying to negotiate a deal with me and the current possessor. Then I'll meet May in New York. We have a, a meeting at the Met where I'm hoping they'll return a Renaissance silver cup that I can prove was looted in 1941. I just got back two sculptures from the St. Louis Museum uh, literally a month, two ago. Wow. Uh, but, you it, know, they all have different, you know, some it's a share. Right. Do you know, I mean, so... All of them have a different story, sure, which is also fascinating. Every and yeah, and, and also it, so. where they've all been. Yeah, what a, I mean, we really need more, uh, you, you know, movies and documentaries, and this, that generation's dying, so they can't tell the story. And so, you know, um, your aunt is still. She, she did two Shoah tapes for Steven wow. Spielberg, so that is on record, and that was a big deal because she didn't want to talk about it. She was the same as her brother, my father. That mm -hmm. when I told them, I well, I didn't couldn't tell my father when I told my aunt mm -hmm. I was going to write a book. She was horrified because she thought, oh, I'm airing family dirty laundry. Yeah, right, right. Uh, my feeling is this was a story that she and my dad would have taken to the grave with them. So right. I'm proud of the fact that I was able to I'm sure there get, was a get it down. And, and she was, yeah. exactly, and she was thrilled in the end with the book. Oh. Do you know, it allowed her to embrace her history, right. that even she was unclear about, right. you know, because there was shame and yeah. sadness, you know, to lose both your parents in that way. Yeah. Um, she went to the, the train station in Florence expecting her parents on that train that got derailed. To Ber to Berlin. Yes. Yeah. The book is called The Orpheus Clock by Simon Goodman, The Search for My Family's Art Treasures Stolen by the Nazis. Where can people find you at a website or social media, Simon? There's a Facebook page for the Orpheus Tell Clock. Tell me what that is. The Orpheus Clock it, it, is a Facebook. Yes, yes. The Orpheus Clock on Facebook. Check it out. Visit and, and say hello to I want to also Simon. say that, yes, well, I'll give that again, but I want to say this because I don't want to forget this. At this end of our table, we had Eric Braden. He's on uh, Young and the Restless 
I, he's been on for like 100 years. No, not quite, but maybe 40. <laughs> on, and do you know, I was another author. He wrote his life story. And in the beginning, he talks about his father being a Nazi. Mm. And now, as shocking as that was, but then he spends, you know, comes to this country and then finds out about, I mean, he knew his father was a Nazi, but then sort of it hit him while he's here as a young young actor in Hollywood. And he spends the, you know, the rest of his time in, in living restitution, meaning he, I don't know, he talks about joining the Israeli soccer team and, and being out about it talking about it which is the best thing we can do is shed light on this because everyone has shame you know the sins of our father you know our mother or whatever it's not his fault but he's he's being of service too so the the um idea that we've had two people directly uh, and i'm another person i I had nothing to do with the uh, holocaust except that i used to live with my girlfriend and her mother and her mother was a auschwitz survivor Mm. So I, when I was 13 years old, used to see that number on her arm. And ultimately, Denise did take her life, her own life. She was an alcoholic. It was tragic. But there was a, she would never speak about it. It was the unspoken. You would not talk about that subject. And so it's important that we um, never repeat. And the only way that we're going to do that is, you know, bring, shed light on it. Do what we can. So, and and. Keeping it human. Yes. Because when you deal with large numbers, six millions, you know, the Russia, 20 million. But when you can say, okay, if this is one family story. Yes. Right. Do you know? I mean, then you can imagine because every family had a story. Yes, absolutely. So I I did cut you off in terms of where we can, where's your... You didn't cut me off. I finished, honey. But you can buy the book at bookstores and... Bookstores. Amazon. Amazon, iTunes. um, iTunes, Amazon. So we can get it on audio. Yes. Yes. That's where I need it. Sure. There's an MP3. (laughs) She doesn't really read. (laughs) You can can download it. There there are 10 different formats, apparently, which kind of baffle me. Which is awesome. Yes. You Once know? again, it's The Orpheus Clock by Simon Goodman, The Search for My Family's Art Treasure Stolen by the Nazis, a wonderful book. We're so grateful to have you both here. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Mary. Thank, Thank, Thank you for being here We love you. We love you. Simon and May, we loved having you here. Now let's highlight some of the great takeaways from this conversation. The takeaway I have, Rochelle, is don't give up. It don't seems the impossible right. you know, chore to sift through and to find out about things that happened back in the early 1940s, but that's just what he did. It's extraordinary to go back to some records that would help him that go back to the 1920s and uh, unearth all those documents, prove his point to a very unreceptive audience at government levels, but that's what he did. It's, it's a you really know, it's story. a perfect blend of giving back to the world and also, you know, having a, a career path that fell into his lap. He wasn't seeking this out. This just happened, you know, when his father died and left him all these, you know, yellowed papers about this correspondence. And I mean, you know, we never know where something's going to lead us. That's the beauty of his story to me. And, you know, his passion about, you know, the restitution and writing a, a very serious wrong that was committed. So Yes, I, if you have justice on your side, you will prevail. And that's just what he did. But so it's, it's not easy. And, no, it's not. You know, but, though, but that doesn't mean, you know, just because it isn't easy, you shouldn't do it. So God bless him, and I'm glad he's doing it. That about does it today. We hope that you've enjoyed it. And hey, maybe you should do some digging in your own family's history. You might be surprised at what you find. Where are we? 
Thanks, oh. everyone. We'll talk to you next <laughs> no, week. No, I'm going to say that. Well, do a little, do a lot. Just do something today and tell us what you did. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. This podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.